Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taporic. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together, we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to Crack the Customer Code, Episode 4. We're here today to talk about how Borders failed, Borders bookstores, why they failed, why others can learn from this experience. We're also going to talk to a special guest. Who's that guest? It is your brother. Yes, we have <laughs> Bill Cusick. This is uh, Jeannie Cusick-Walters, if you haven't seen her name in full. That's right. So we have Bill Cusick, and he wrote a very cool book called All Customers Are Irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke in the last episode about crazy customers, so this will be an interesting uh, <laughs> segue here. And then we're going to talk about one of Jeannie's favorite topics, uh. Uh, health <laughs> care customer service. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, but you know what? I used to be a huge fan of Borders books. I must say, I used to go there all the time, and I think we all did. Yeah, well, this is happening to a lot of big companies that we grew up with, right? I mean, Kodak has had their issues, and uh, Borders, and all sorts of them. And what I like to say to people is that two guys with a laptop can take down the biggest retailer. I mean, really, if you've got a good idea and you can do something to make it convenient for customers, then the retailers who are just resting on the fact that customers used to love them, they're not going to make it at all. And I think Borders is a prime example of this. That's why I like personal services businesses. <laughs> you're, you're, much, you're much less uh, inclined to get taken down by somebody with a website. But yeah. <laughs> so what you do you know, mean by that? What do you mean by personal services? Yeah. You, well, you, to get your haircut, you know, uh, Zappos can't take, uh, can't right. take down your hair, haircutery. I mean, you've got to go get your haircut. That's true. That's right? true. You know, the Floby so, could though. Remember the Floby? Yes, <laughs> the Floby might. Yeah, that is true. QVC can take you down, That's but right. Zappos can't. That's right. I think that with Borders, one of the things that became really painfully obvious was that they were not keeping up with the times, because it wasn't the era of everybody meandering through bookstores anymore. And when the ebook phenomenon happened and the Kindle started taking over, Barnes and Noble came out with their own version with the Nook. Uh, Borders sat on their tush for a while and didn't think it was going to affect them. They thought ebooks were not their audience. And I think this is something we hear over and over and over. Well, my customers don't need something online. I mean, remember that when people thought right. they didn't even need a website? I heard that over and over and over where everybody was getting online and there were certain companies who would say, well, my customers prefer to come into the store. Yeah, they do until they don't. <laughs> right? right. You're, you're dating yourself, by the way. If you can I remember know. when people didn't... Uh, I know. You know want, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but I look very young. I'm just going to say that. on. The- <laughs> yes, exactly. You can say anything you want on audio about how you look. That's, That's right. the beauty of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a great lesson that, you know, customers are only loyal until they aren't. So it's it's really dangerous to sit back and think, well, because my customers have always been loyal, they always will be. That's just not a recipe for success at all. That's Absolutely. Those are the folks who are not going to make it. And there are so many lessons. And one thing we should say is, you know, this is a five-minute look at you know, why borders failed. It's not a real look at why borders failed. I mean, something that big. I mean, you've got supply chain issues. You've got financing mm-hmm. issues. You've got all kinds of things that are not just about the customer. But one of the things I found really interesting, you know, we talk about customer experience. You, you, know, you and I talk about uh, micro interactions a lot. That's mm-hmm. an area you specialize in. But still, there are some times when you actually have to make the customer experience a little harder on the customer because it is just a smart thing to do. 
Okay, here's an example. And you're, you're, when I say the example, you're, you're know, looking I'm at getting, me. Nobody I'm can see getting us. tense. You're getting tense. <laughs> here's the thing. Milk and eggs go at the back of the store. Right. Okay, they just do. It doesn't, I mean, it's not, if you wanted to do it for the customers only, right. you would put milk and eggs right at the front, but you, every supermarket on this planet has them at the back of the store. Yep. Why? So that we <laughs> so buy more. So you walk past everything else. Yep. And that was actually, you know, that was a design flaw at Borders, I think. You know, what's one really interesting about Barnes & Noble, if, you, yeah, I can't speak for every store, just the ones I've seen locally and, you know, when I travel, their cafes usually in the middle or the back. Mm-hmm. The borders here, at least in the area I'm in, they were always at the front. And I used to go there. I'd go there and write. I'd go there and work on my blog. Mm -hmm. And I'd buy stuff that I would watch people go in there for hours and never go past the cafe right. or the bathroom. Right. Literally. They would never buy anything. They would sit. They, would, they wouldn't even buy the coffee, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd literally sit there and use the Wi-Fi, read the magazines, put them back. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I'd watch it because I'd be there for hours. Right. So it's very, yeah, I think there was a design flaw there too. It's just, it was so many levels, you know, everybody talks about the nook and the, you know, mm -hmm. not adapting to the digital. I mean, that was obviously huge, you know, huge yeah. sort of strategic oversight, but you know, there was a lot of layers there. Well, I think it's a good point because it comes down to store design as well and what makes people comfortable. And they did a good job of making people comfortable, but they didn't really do a good job of understanding the business enough. Right. I mean, sooner or later, that. you actually yeah. you have to sell something. Right. I mean, right. You know, the the definition of a customer is somebody who buys something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Know, eventually, now they may not buy something every transaction or every interaction, but eventually they do. Well, and interestingly, the phenomenon right now is that libraries, public libraries, are not being utilized as much as they used to be because everybody's getting things digitally. So they're doing all these really cool things around innovating around their customer experience, and it's kind of like the opposite of what happened to borders because they're really paying attention to how do people need us now. Really great examples out there. That would be a great segment sometime. Yes, we will have to do that <laughs> on another episode. So Adam, I've heard through the grapevine that you have a really spectacular e-newsletter, but I have one question for you. What's that? Why will I not delete it? It's called the customer conversation and it's got just great tips on customer experience. And we actually do a, it's a little bit off, you know, a little bit different from most customer experience newsletters. We actually do a Monday motivation, which is sometimes personal motivation, sometimes business motivation. That's really popular. We're actually over a hundred motivations now. We've been doing it for years. It's twice a week. So we don't overburden you with information. And what's really cool is you get free resources right when you sign up. You get an ebook focused on customer experience concepts. You get a workbook for organizational obstacles. And you even get a cool little 101 quotes that you can use to like manage and inspire your teams. Do you want to know where to get it? I do want to know where to get it. Go to customerebook.com. That is customerebook.com. And you can get the customer conversation and get those free resources ASAP. Cool. Right now we have Jeannie's brother. Yes. And that's why he's on the show, right? Just because he's my brother. You've got, you're, you're connected. Exactly. So we've got Bill Cusick and uh, he wrote a book called All Customers Are Irrational. And tell us, where does he work, Jeannie? He is currently the Vice President of Customer Experience at Zurich, North America. And he's had a tremendous background in focusing on the customer. And he and I actually worked together for 12 years at a customer experience firm that he founded. We were eventually partners and uh, we served a lot of the Fortune 500 customers out there and help them understand who their customers were and how they could relate. And uh, he and I work very well together because in a lot of ways, we're not alike. <laughs> That's good. You compliment each other. Yeah. Yin and yang, for sure. And it's excellent. It's funny that uh, you actually became aware of Bill through his book, right? Correct. And the first time you put together that Bill and I were related 
was the first time you and I met in real life at an airport. And I mentioned yep. Bill, and you said, oh, my gosh, I've never put that together. <laughs> the Cusick and the Cusick evaded me. And you were reading his book how. at that moment, which was so bizarre. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually re- I reference his book. Uh, you know, he's one of the citations in my new book. So I was working on that very topic, like, right before we talked. It was hilarious. That's really and funny. I, I'm obviously not that sharp. So <laughs> <laughs> No. So we have uh, Bill on the line, don't we? Yes. Hey, Bill. It's good to be here. Good to talk to you guys. Well, I know you two know each other well, brother and sister, so I want to say I'm pleased to finally get to meet you, Bill. I've had your book. I've read your book, All Customers Are Irrational. And I don't know if you know this, we um, actually have a book coming out on uh, with Amacom in the spring. We have the same editor, Bob. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah, That's so great. we've been talking about Such you. And I've got uh, one of the chapters. My, my book's all about frontline service, but we'll make this about you. But one of the chapters is actually uh, All Customers Are Irrational, and I really uh, – based it on your book. So thanks so much. We want to ask you about customer rationality and just sort of tell us, what is it? Sure. Well, we all encounter the world based on obviously what's going on in our brain. And what a lot of people don't really consider and what research has shown is that when we when we think back on experiences, um, they're, they're tied incredibly closely to, to emotion. And the emotion is created through the more almost primeval section of the brain it's it's really that uh what what is called the irrational subconscious the irrational subconscious is really that it's it's the lion's share of what's going on in the brain at any given point um and often we make decisions um and behave in ways based on what's happening in that part of the brain that we can't really consciously tap into um, what we often do then is after we make decisions, we, quote, rationalize those decisions. So we, we, we really make up a story for ourselves to justify why we, why we really wanted that red sports car or why, um, you know, why it makes sense that I bought this house uh, that maybe at the beginning of the house hunt wouldn't have been on our short list. Mm-hmm. And so the, the other part of that is it means we also – it may sound like it's just emotion, but it, it also it's a more powerful processing unit for us. And so it actually is a way where we consider many more factors in a decision than we typically do uh, when we're thinking consciously. So if, if we know that this is happening, then why as companies do, do we typically try and shape you know products and services solely on kind of that lo- the logical set of uh, criteria? So how should you, you know how should organizations adapt to this sort of mindset of viewing customer mindset? You know, I, I've worked a lot in financial service, and and there, th- that's an arena where people worry a lot about the quote logical aspects of things. But if we can get a little more focused, there's certain keys to how any customer might prioritize their behavior in the future. So. For instance, I'm doing a lot with, you know, when your client's a company, you would think that the whatever you're offering them, maybe you're offering banking or you're offering consulting services or something, obviously whatever you're offering has to be logical and you have to, just to be in the game, you have to provide good service, etc. But it's always about human beings. It's always about how someone feels at the end of those things. So do they feel confident in the relationship with you? Do they feel good about interacting with you and your company? Um, those, see, those sound like soft kind of aspects to the relationship. 
and, and they, they can be, but it doesn't mean they're not the most important sometimes. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's the old adage about, you know, people do business with people they like, and there's a good reason it's an old saying. It's, it's true. Mm-hmm. Why do people like other folks who, you know, it, it's that there's some trust built up. It's that they actually like spending time with them and that they feel positive about it. And so one of the challenges with, for companies is trying to get across to everyone that all those things matter a lot. And, and it doesn't take much quality services, quality products. It doesn't take much over the course of that, you know, customer journey to deteriorate that mm-hmm. kind of like in an unintended way. So, you know, customer experience is really that series of interactions, you know, exposures, communications that someone has with, you know, a, a, a given company. And the customer perception is a result of all those, those exposures and, and experiences, both the intended and the unintended. The customer doesn't care if they're intended or not. The customer just cares what they were and how they made them feel. So, And it sounds like you're talking a little bit about what I'm passionate about, which is those micro interactions, those small moments that really, really matter. And I'm wondering, now that you're with Zurich, which is certainly a big company, how are you tackling that customer experience? How how do people in large companies actually tackle their customer experience? The trick with any large organization is, and I think you and I have both seen this in the past, is that people jump to, you know, while micro interactions are, are really important with some big companies, what you have to do before you get to those quote micro experiences or, or behaviors, et cetera, is to create some kind of keystone or foundation for what you are even are as mm-hmm. a company. If the company wasn't created by a founder who already thought this way, when you try and change the culture, you can't do it by just talking at first about things like behaviors and individual interactions. You can certainly improve those, mm-hmm. but if you want to kind of have a sea change, you have to start with something very simple and then move to maybe practices. But then if it's going to work in a longer term, in a way what you're trying to do is not change experience at first, but you're trying to create an engine that will change experience. You're trying to change how employees perceive um, what they're what they own give them the empowerment to do something about it and then reward them for it which is a huge undertaking if people start seeing things changing around customer experience they see that as the proof that the cu- the culture is in fact changing so there's more buy into it so how should companies measure customer experience i think ultimately you should be able to measure it and Depending on the industry you're in, um, you know, obviously you can measure things like employee engagement. And there's been a lot of baselining of employee engagement in terms of surveys and such. And I dare anyone to name a company for me that has low levels of employee engagement and high levels of customer satisfaction because they really don't exist. Uh, But ultimately, you know, for us, it's things like obviously retention, it's customer lifetime value are things. And that drives other aspects and factors that need to change. Like, do you make decisions based on the profit um, from this relationship over the next six months? Or do you make it based on the depth of the relationship you can create with a customer for um, a a longer term type of 
um, value that you need to look at. So some, those are the few of the things. That's a bit. Right, and that's really a, you know, a relational versus a transactional approach to customers. Is Absolutely. What you're talking about there. Absolutely. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, this has been great. Well, thank you so much. We've enjoyed having you. And one thing you're talking about employee engagement, I think we all need to remember we're all irrational, not just customers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Hey, Bill, thank you so much. It's been great having you. We appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was very cool. I know he was your brother, so you know Bill very well, but that was very cool to get to talk to Bill Cusick finally live. That was awesome. (laughs) So, Jeannie, I've heard that you're like some kind of customer experience private eye or something like that, right? Tell me about that process. We, we do a process that we call micro-mapping, which is taking those small moments and really mapping them out. We interview customers. We uh, look for those micro-interactions, which I love to talk about. And then we come back to our clients and we really share with them, these are your customer stories. This is exactly what happens. And it's amazing the change that can happen. And it's amazing what is overlooked in data and analytics that we can find. So it's really exciting. I love the work. I love the people. And most of all, I love the results. And I think our clients do too. So would you like to know where to find it? I would love to know where to find it. (laughs) You can find us at 360Connext, which is 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T.com. And you can learn about it there and sign up for our newsletter and all those good things. So now we're going to talk about something which I know is near and dear to your uh, ulcer. <laughs> it is time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. We're going to talk about healthcare customer service. Well, you know, it's such a huge topic. I just want to say a little bit about it because here we are in 2014 and patient experience is like the thing, right? Because they're getting money for it. And they're all talking about patient experience as if it's a new phenomenon and something that they should suddenly be worried about. My beef is that this year in particular, we've had a lot of medical stuff because as you know, Adam, and a few people might have known, my family and I were involved with a pretty serious car accident. Thankfully, we're all okay. But we were, uh, we were pretty banged up. So we all had different medical things. The amount of paperwork that we have to fill out and the amount of onus on us to make sure that the insurance people have what they need, that the the state's attorney and all these people need and the hospitals don't really help you with that. They do not advocate for the patients. They advocate in some cases when you're in the moment. And I think that's what they think the patient experience is. But the patient experience goes so far beyond when you're discharged from the hospital or when you have that appointment that I think I would. This is just a call to action, basically. I'm just asking <laughs> healthcare <laughs> around the world to figure this out because it's so painful as a patient, and it's going to be my life for at least a few months, if not a few years. That it's. I feel like this is a customer zero. That's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> yes, this is our customer hero, customer zero segment. Mm-hmm. So that's very apropos. You know what's interesting about. You know, sort of healthcare customer services. I mean, you get you get it all over the board. You know, my dentist is a great example. They're just awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they they do it they do it right, even for any industry, much less you know the medical industry, which is obviously tends to be tougher. But you know, it's not just about. I think maybe the issue with what you're talking about is you know patient experience. It's just really just a buzzword. You know, I we've totally both been agree. in business a while. You know. There's always the buzzwords going around. Everybody talks about it, but you don't actually do anything or that nobody really gets what it really is supposed to mean. Right. It started as a great idea. Now we just label everything patient experience because, you know, we uh, put our logo at the top of the form. Right. Right. Uh, 
now they know who the form's from. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's just sort of window dressing, right? Yeah. I think we could spend a lot of time on this, but it would be great if everybody just looked at this as, you know what, let's do something about it. Let's see what we're actually doing and take our advice from another podcast of actually walking through the experience themselves. See what it's like to walk in and make an appointment and then get those forms at home. See what it's like to do that with a toddler. (laughs) See what it's like when you are in the moment. I mean, the other thing they forget is that people in those situations are not at their best. Well, yeah. And you you talk about sort of the structural experience and then you talk about the customer centricity of the healthcare industry in general. I know I sent you that blog post I wrote. It's called Just Sit There and Bleed, a (laughs) Tale of Healthcare Customer Service. Uh, That's on the Customers at Stick blog. But yeah, that blog post, I I sort of go through this whole experience I had. Short version, I've been sitting there for hours. My hand is bleeding. The doctor finally gets to me. I'm behind one of those curtain things, sees that the tray of utensils was not unwrapped or in the right place, Mm -hmm. storms out. To prove a point to his staff, not worrying about me, the customer, right. literally goes into the next little curtained uh, cubicle thing so I can hear him taking the next uh, patient. Mm. And I've been, yeah, this is like after three hours. So it's a great little story. And it shows that it's not just about, you know, there's two aspects or there's a lot of aspects, but there's a structural sort of forms and all the stuff you're talking yep. about. And there's actual the training. Right, right. Oh, we can go on and on. I know we could go on and on. <laughs> well, you want to say thank you? Yeah. Thank you for listening, and thank you to uh, my bro, Bill Cusick, for being here as our guest. That was a really interesting discussion. Uh, Thank all of you for listening to Crack the Customer Code. If you like this, please subscribe to our podcast, and if you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. For today's show notes, please go to crackthecustomercode.com. And until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.